The year is 2021, and two handsome podcast hosts are on the search for a film and to talk about a movie of the highest caliber. Welcome to Ben and Bran see a movie and yes did i just introduce us again after we had our theme song yes i very much did but i want to give it kind of that noir 1970s feel because that's what this film we're talking about the nice guy it has yes. that feel the whole time so i want to do a terrible noir so i apologize it reminded me more of the it reminded me more of the text at the beginning of terminator where it's like the year <laughs> is 2025 the world has been overtaken by machines too bad the nice guy doesn't have like that type of like feel to it the techno feel but regardless mm-hmm. i think i did it well enough but anyway mm-hmm. guys we're here talking about the nice guys branson it's good to see you again how it's was your birthday you weekend uh, it was good. It was pretty chill. Um, I was uh, on a Thursday this year, which I, my birthday is pretty much almost always on a weekday. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, over the weekend, went to visit uh, my family. Uh, both my brother and sister were working <laughs> that nice. day. So that was rough. So we visited my sister where she works and got lunch there. And then we, my brother works at a go-karting place. So we raced go-karts and he got off so we were all able to race each other so that was oh, cool. that's fun yeah so were um, you just there for the day yeah just there for the day fortunately that's we're nice. close enough now that it's not like it doesn't put us out you know two and a half hours it only puts us out like an hour yeah totally so we are talking the nice guys uh this week and this is a film, I'll just give the brief film historian, because uh, this is a film, if you haven't seen it, you should. And it's a really clever, funny film, in my opinion. But anyway, this film comes out in 2016, directed by Shane Black. Shane Black, uh, famous for his writing of Lethal Weapon and the Predator in the 1980s, went on to make uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and... Uh, Val Kilmer in 2005 or 2006 then goes on to direct Iron Man 3 for the MCU so this is kind of his next film that comes after that he then goes on to direct the new Predator film which we won't talk about because that is a demerit to his uh, career sadly (laughs) but it is directed by Shane Black it's uh, Joel Silver who if I am correct well not if I'm correct he's of the Silver Company Uh, I'm blanking on uh, the actual one uh silver productions i think is the name they've done a lot of stuff like 48 hours really big in the 80s uh they did the warriors lethal weapons die hard all those kind of action films of the 80s and 90s obviously that explains how he knows shane black so they make this film it stars uh russell crowe and ryan gosling in the lead roles and they uh are in 1977 they are two la private Sorry, one of them is a private detective. The other one is kind of more of an enforcer. He's kind of a, yeah, he's kind of a vigilante. Yeah, he he's more the enforcer, but he definitely does some PI work, it seems like. And they are on the case for a missing woman uh, who they believe is dead, but then they find out due to un-crazy circumstances, they believe is still alive and involved with this huge kind of conspiracy. And yeah, it, it, is, it really unfolds in this interesting way. Yeah, and it's very much a comedy. It's very much a throwback comedy. Uh, 
action little comedy. A little bit of a dark comedy. Yeah, has a lot of noir vibes to it. Uh, making fun of kind of the detective feel to it uh, from the 1930s. This kind of pulpiness to the dialogue and everything. But regardless, that's the nice guys. And I've talked enough, so I'm going to jump to you, Branson, to kind of just kick us off and kind of give us, uh, not kind of, just give us your hill to die on. Okay. Uh, so I I couldn't believe that I'd never seen this movie before. And uh, in order to give you um, and uh, our viewers, our listeners, I always say viewers, you're not viewing the podcast, you're viewing the Spotify window that it appears in. <laughs> um, so for our listeners and for you, Ben, I need to kind of set the stage and tell you a story about a project that I did in community college. Okay. Uh, so in community college, I was in a film appreciation class and the final for that class was to create a short film. And the teacher said five minutes in length um, would be like the max uh, for our film. So it was a very short film. Uh, ours ended up being uh, close to 10 minutes. Nice. So we, we broke that rule. Um, and I, I made it with some really good friends from high school who, and we became even better friends through college. Um, we made this film called Brothers Bold. You can find it on YouTube. Um, if you search hard enough, um, and, and, uh, we were going for this sort of Quentin Tarantino, um, look with like sort of these gritty assassins just out to do a job and they're double crossed. Um, and, uh, I, I play the henchman or I play one of the henchmen who spoiler alert is like the guy who double crosses everybody. But uh, since it's in high school, I have this big poofy hair, so I do not look clean cut. I do not look like an assassin. I look like a clown boy. Uh, there are a couple shots of my car, which I use as like my getaway car, and I've got a friendship bracelet hanging from the rearview mirror, and you can clearly see it. And once you know that it's a friendship bracelet, it totally breaks every every little tiny granular piece of macho um deadly vibe that i give off uh but the it the movie was a lot of fun to make it was a lot of fun to edit it was a lot of fun to kind of figure out how we were going to do it but i think all of the crew uh would agree that it wasn't great and we wanted to do so much more with it Mm -hmm. so with all that being said here's my hill to die on this movie, The Nice Guys, is the kind of movie that I think we wanted to make. <laughs> Nothing too crazy. Uh, just clever writing, good action, um, quippy dialogue that isn't like that doesn't make you want to slice your ears off with a paper guillotine. This kind of quippy dialogue that is actually funny. Nice. I, I laughed at every single pulpy line and every single deconstruction of a pulpy line in this movie. Um, and it was just fun. It was yeah. fun to watch. Uh, so yeah, that's my that's my hill to die on with a really really big <laughs> long walk up to that hill. Yeah. So well, mine's is a lot simpler, so that yeah. should help. But <laughs> mine's is in 2016, Ryan Gosling got nominated for an Academy Award for his portrayal in the movie La La Land, and I think this is the movie that he should have been nominated for. He oh. is 
hysterical in this movie. And I mean, like, Russell Crowe is great in this movie. Ryan Gosling steals the movie by far. I did not know he had this level of comedic chops. And Mm -hmm. what he does in this movie is, I just think, one of the greatest performances in a comedy movie to come out in a while and I think you could even make the argument, and it was almost my hill to die on, that this is the funniest film that of the 2010s. It is truly just an underappreciated classic that no yeah. one's ever heard of. And it's this great cast, and it's this great chemistry between Gosling and Crow. This funny story, and just a film that you just don't see anymore. It's, And I don't mean even see anymore, but... The style of it, you don't get these mid-range budget comedies anymore. These kind of 50 to $60 million. Usually they're either smaller or budgets or they're bigger, but they're kind of like an action comedy where it's just like, you know, kind of pushing the hundred millions. This mm-hmm. is a $40 million film that yeah. feels of its budget, but is delivered strongly by these two lead performances and a great supporting cast who's full of laughs, full of intrigue and just some hysterical and brutal violence. Yes. And also I, something else with a comedy, something that tires me out a lot about modern comedy movies is that, uh, they, they rely too strongly on slapstick um, just like someone taking a groin shot, mm. I feel like someone taking a groin shot is the most common. I mean, that's like AFV. I, I enjoy AFV, but the groin shot is one of the lowest forms of comedy. Yeah. Uh, there's another hill for me to die on. Uh, I'm straddling my two hills, <laughs> but, um, I, this movie, I feel like there's, there's, uh, there's some intelligence behind the dialogue. Oh yeah. And there's um, we've talked about movies before that have a reverence for their um, for the material that they're being based on. Disaster Artist is a great example where it has a reverence, but it can still kind of make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and this movie makes fun of the '70s film noir sort of thing really well with all the quippy dialogue, and then they'll deconstruct it within the movie. You yes. know. Um, and like they do that so well. And then there's also some really funny, um, you know, ways that they frame the camera. Like you said, Ryan Gosling, um, really shows his comedic talents in this movie. Um, just, I, his facial expressions are really funny and his, you know, like timid knee jerk sort of reactions to certain things are really funny. Um, like when he initially gets beat up, it's Mm. yeah, I, well, we should get into yes. the movie proper, but um, yeah, I think uh, I think that sets it up pretty well yeah. just for what to expect. And getting into it, I am going to say, because I think this is a film that a lot of people haven't seen, and some of the laughs and surprises are, uh, the first time you see them, they hit really hard. So I'm going to try my best not to really go into details or spoil specific scenes or plot lines to it, and just kind of give the overall story without getting into like the nitty gritty like details of the plot so i'm Mm going to try my best and if i have to spoil something i will give a spoiler warning but so in this film we have russell crowe who plays jackson healy again he's kind of the tough guy uh ultimate machismo yeah he Uh, uh he brandishes the knuckle dusters yeah he is full on canadian tuxedo he is uh i don't know how to describe him but he's 
he's almost like the bouncer hustler type role where he is just the guy he's the bronze if you need somebody to beat up somebody or send a warning or a threat that's this he's the guy you talk to and yes. then on the other side you have Ryan Gosling who plays Holland March. He is the PI who basically is willing to do anything for a job. And they have this great juxtaposition between the two characters where it seems to be more of the brawn versus, and I don't want to call Gosling's character necessarily the brain, but definitely more of the uh, subdued's not even the right word, but he's definitely more of the talker. He's the mm. fast talking, witty guy and this it's it's this yes. juxtaposition that these two characters have that really starts uh this journey so the film starts with the death of a a adult actress named misty mountains who, i by saw the way, you i saw you starting to form the p yeah yeah i was, I was just like... trying to i was trying to remember what best way to describe it but yes an adult actress named misty mountains which by the way is a fantastically funny name that's pretty funny star. i the it's... more I, the more i thought about it the more i was like that's pretty clever yes so uh holland march is hired by misty's aunt to basically find her uh niece even though it's been reported that the niece has been dead the aunt mm. says that she saw her walking around two days after two she days died. after she supposedly died so mm. he takes the case and this leads to russell crow who is doing another investigation uh that ends up these two characters end up meeting out of these unlikely events. And yeah, they're more or they more or less are investigating different loose ends of the same case. Yeah, which they find out ties together. Yes. And my, oh, man, how the, do you like that for a simile? Yeah. And one of my favorite just like introductions to these characters is when these two characters first meet. Holland Again, Gosling is in his room, his house, and Russell Crowe comes at him and just starts trying to get all the information out. And he thinks he's <laughs> going to have to beat the crap out of Gosling, and Gosling just starts spilling it. Just and Crowe says it as much. He's like, "You didn't work at all. Like, yeah. to, like you gave up your, your lead that fast. <laughs> yeah, or your client. Yeah, you gave up your client that fast. Yeah, and then." Just again, you just get the jokes right off the bat. And one of my favorite is this physical comedy joke that Gosling does where he tries grabbing the gun and Gosling or sorry, Crow kicks it out of his hand and then like breaks his hand, which Gosling gives like a fantastic scream. Just this high pitch. I wanted to cover my yeah. mic so I didn't blast myself. He gives this scream and then goes again for the gun. <laughs> he has to break the hand again. Yeah. And then and then as he's leaving and Ryan Gosling is just laying on the floor or as Holland is laying on the floor, just like uh-huh. Yeah, he's just crying. Yeah. And-, and and Jackson doesn't care. He's like, You mind if I have an apple? He like sees the fruit bowl on the counter. You mind if I have an apple? And he's just like, uh-huh. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like walks outside. So good. And it's this great introduction to, again, just these two characters, but you get exactly who both of them are. And specifically with Gosling, you now just know he is the comedy of this film. Like, not saying that uh, Crow isn't funny, but Gosling is where the lines come from. Like, the physical Mm -hmm. humor is all with Gosling. And that's best exemplified in the very first introduction of Holland's character, where he's doing this PI work and he's trying to get uh information from a bar 
and the bartender like refuses to do it. So he break, <laughs> he goes in uh, after after the bar has closed, <laughs> and he tries punching the window, and he has like a towel around him to like do it but he totally just cuts his hand and then he's just like oh that's blood that's a lot of blood and then the next scene you just see him in the uh the hospital uh or sorry the ambulance and they're like we're losing it we're losing it (laughs) that's so good i that's such a that's such a unique um take on you know the private investigator and like that's one of those examples of this movie just like knowing its source material and completely deconstructing it like that's such a good um he's not a he's a uh he's a soft-boiled detective yeah he's He's... like a poached detective he's sunny side up he's runny yeah and to give a little context (laughs) on what we mean here is you have the hard-boiled cop or yes pi kind of the humphrey bogart in uh the maltese falcon he's smooth talking he's handsome he always seems to know everything and everybody to talk the detective to. that the, t- the detective that keeps bourbon in one holster and is 35 in the other and always it's a dark and stormy night yeah the wind smells like rain he has this yeah. ambiguous feel to him it's a little bit of a womanizer very charismatic and in this gosling is very much the opposite he's not put together he's very much this loser character he's a mess i yeah. there's i think every time that he's wearing a suit um you can see his sleeve unbuttoned i don't know if that's because of the cast on his arm which he has throughout the entire movie which is really funny um but he always just looks like he's kind of a mess Mm -hmm. um and then i you know another thing that i love about jackson and holland are you very quickly are rooting for holland or are you're very quickly rooting for jackson and rooting against holland because mm-hmm. you see Jackson, even though he's a vigilante, he's like finding dudes that are like preying on little girls mm-hmm. and is like punching their lights out with brass knuckles. And then um, Holland, who's supposed to be above board and like working as a private investigator, he drinks all the time. He asks for extra money from a case that it, by all accounts should be closed as far as he's aware mm. so it's like you get this great just juxtaposition where it's like i'm rooting for the one that i'm not supposed to root for you know yeah. or that it's like not morally it's like morally gray to root for it, um, and he has and, this moment yeah. when you're talking about just the fact that he's an alcoholic it's just another of these really subtle jokes that's like just shows you how smart the script is his daughter who's great in the film the daughter's name the actress is holly it, holly the actress's name is andrew rice i believe oh, is yes. how you pronounce her name she's great in it she has some great comedic back and forth with uh gosling but specifically crow but anyway in the scene that i'm referring yes. to it's gosling gets in the car with her after he's been drinking and he's like accepted the money from this uh lady the lady the aunt that you were referring to mm-hmm. and she's like uh should you really be doing this? And he's just like, shut up and drive. And this 10-year-old just gets away with the car. She just drives off in the car with him just like passed out in the next seat. It's so good. The amount of times that he makes his like 11-year-old daughter drive is yeah. hilarious. Actually, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. I think Again, she's 10 or 11. She celebrates yeah. her birthday in the movie, but I don't remember if they say an age. Oh, yes, you're right. Which, um 
<laughs> Last week when we weak. talked about Iron Giant, I said Hogarth was between 8 and 10 years old, and he's 9 years old. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 10 and 11 is a pretty good, uh, yes. <laughs> pretty good estimate. She's 10 and, and a half. This kind of actually leads perfectly with the mention of the birthday party, because this is where these two characters finally come together mm-hmm. and realize they have to kind of team up to there's something fishy going on and they need to work together and bring both of their information and figure out what's going on. And, and again, I, really quickly, yeah. I, um, up to the point where they meet, they have these sort of back and forth narration. Like at one point, uh, Jackson gives an, a bit of narration and then next Holland gives a bit of narration. And that's something that I don't know is done a lot like having dual narration so that's pretty unique and then once Mm. they come together it doesn't really happen again uh so it's like um it's a good way to kind of frame the characters a little bit more because they get into you know teaming up pretty pretty quickly yeah within the first half hour yeah which is nice and when they team up they have this again just this great moment of physical comedy from gosling where he's in the bathroom and crow confronts him in the bathroom (laughs) and he has gosling has the newspaper in his hand the gun but he has his pants down and he's trying to keep the door open and he's just wailing his arms back and forth trying to keep it and the door's closing on him and crow's just like looking at this pathetic man and he's like gosling's like turn around around. real quick so i can put my pants you know there's a mirror here yeah it's again he's just like I, I've said it so many times, Gosling just carries this film. Not to say again, Crow's bad. Crow's fantastic and really funny in this film. Gosling's just on another level mm-hmm. in this. It's just like, you don't see comedy like this. And it, it, it's reminiscent of that 1930s, kind of that Chaplin. Uh, Ooh, good uh, example. Some of those vibes. I'm trying, I'm thinking of the other guy, the uh, the guy um, who did the train stunts. Uh, Buster Keaton? His, Buster Keaton, yeah. It has those moments of that. So it's just really special and unique comedy. And it's completely physical comedy. He is solely working on just him getting hurt and him putting himself in like the worst situations. And we're going to jump a little bit. Uh, There's so much we could talk about. There's one line that I just want to mention real quick before we do the jump. And Mm -hmm. that's when they're investigating and they're at the they go to the rally against pollution. Cause remember this is the 1970s. This is Carter's America. So there's the gas prices, uh, mm-hmm. racking up and there's the, uh, pollution is now becoming an issue, which we find mm-hmm. out has more to play into this whole story without getting into it. But pollution definitely has a part. And they're at this protest and you all have these, these people all lying laying down on, the, on the steps. Gosling's trying to figure out what they're doing. And they're like, Oh, like, what are you protesting? And they're like, the air. <laughs> and he's like, you're protesting the air? The pollution in the air. And then one guy's wearing a gas mask and he's like, the pollution's that bad that it killed you through the gas mask or something like that. And they just, they don't even say anything. They just kind of look at each other like, oh man. Yeah. And then he like, Gosling accidentally steps on one of the guy's hands. <laughs> Ow. Hey man, what the heck? Oh, I thought you were dead. Yeah. Just so good. It's these little scenes throughout the movies. They're almost vignettes within the movie. There's yes. There's this really inappropriate vignette, vignette with a 12-year-old boy that leads them to getting the information. But he's like on a bike and he's driving and they get to the house. And this boy says a really uh, 
crude line, but it's these little scenes throughout the film that just make this film special. It's mm-hmm. not even the overall plot. It's the scenes in between everything happening. Right. The, and and they're all cohesive scenes. Yes. They're, I would they're, say. None of them feel meaningless. They all enhance and drive forward the story. But within themselves, you can watch that scene and think this is a really funny comedic moment with just these characters. Exactly. who had no context of who they are. It just exactly. works as a comedic beat. And, um, I, yeah. something, something that I found really comedic, and I don't know if this was even meant to be comedic. I think it was just meant to be, a, uh, you know, a character aspect of Jackson, but it was comedic to me, like thinking about like observations. Um, every time Jackson reads a note, uh, he reads it in the same way that my mom reads memes on my phone. <laughs> when I show her a meme. He oh, he puts the glasses at, on. Yeah. He'll, yeah. He'll, put the glasses on and then kind of hold the note and then kind of push it back from his face and squint a little bit. And I'm like, yeah. Hey, that's my mom looking at memes. Uh, so I probably not meant to be a joke, but still made me laugh. Yeah. Which shows the genius. And, uh, jumping into kind of the middle of the film, which again, we're trying to not hit spoilers hard, but they end up going to this party where something happens and Gosling's character, comes in contact with another dead person that's mm-hmm. all i'll say about the scene mm-hmm. but this party sequence is again just really funny really well shot a uh, little uncomfortable because uh it's it's um it's very 70s and debaucherous yes so. it has that kind of like playboy hugh hefner exactly feel to yeah it. yeah but and again this film's one of those films where every thing the main characters go through kind of happens by accident they just stumble <laughs> into their like discoveries and yeah literally, how he finds literally this... sometimes yes. like holland literally stumbles upon this Which, dead body you're, and you're the, the, about... re- the reveal for it is brilliant because he lights a cigarette and you can see something behind him and you're like what the heck is that and then he lights it again and slowly turns around and then just starts freaking out, yeah. like which is also funny because he's a private investigator. Come on, you've seen a dead body before, right? Yeah, and he has this this moment again that we're talking about, where there's two of the funniest falls uh, in film history is this and Hot Rod, where they just go oh, stumbling down brilliant. the hill for just an absurd amount of time. And Gosling, you see him flipping, rolling, screaming. <laughs> and then when he finds the dead body, it's this kind of panic that washes over his face where he just kind of realizes, and then he pauses, and then he just like starts looking at the body and he just starts breathing really heavily. And he starts <laughs> crying at one point. <laughs> Healy! Healy! Yeah, he's just calling and, for anybody. And, and then as they're like, okay, what we need to do, we need to get rid of this body and then we can throw up. Or yeah. let's throw up and then get rid of the body. <laughs> so they both throw up and then yeah. throw the body onto uh, over a fence and then it falls into like a courtyard. <laughs> it falls where... into, the... <laughs> like pull a dinner... into like a pool. It's like a dinner party. Yeah, it's a dinner <laughs> like party. Right onto right. the it's table. Right off the table. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's like I said, it's these little moments. It's this clever script that comes together so well. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that this film's so well shot that it's beautifully shot that you can have that moment with the cigarette where it is this like 
ominous feeling to it like you don't exactly know what it is the camera work in it is comedy itself it mm -hmm. it knows when to pause it knows when to take its beats it knows when to linger that's really one of the impressive scenes and 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 even more so it is noir that yes. reveal is so film noir um and it, and it still manages to be funny I, there's yeah. such a beautiful marriage of two really different sort of movie styles you know yeah and when we're kind of describing it as a parody, it's not quite at the level of parody of no. something like yeah, Airplane or even Naked Gun, which is a, in itself a noir parody. This one's more of a reminiscent of it. It has the feel, but not with the level of like spoof jokes to it. Yeah, it exactly. It just pokes fun at it. And mm -hmm. no when I'm talking about camera work that's just done so perfectly to reveal a comedic beat... There's this scene where uh, Gosling and Crow, they're in an elevator to go deal with a uh, <laughs> investigate something. And there's this shootout going on. And they as they the, arrive. Yeah, as they arrive on the elevator, the doors open and there's this shootout and they both peek their heads. They see this like murder scene going on and they both slowly go back into the elevator and he clicks the button and you just see them both breathing really heavily. And then you see... It's just this great reveal of both of their faces where they're just both like just so quiet and like, let's get down, let's get down, let's let's hope they didn't see us or anything, just breathing so heavily. <laughs> and then you just see this body fly. <laughs> yeah, you see, you hear like the... You hear the glass. The, yeah, and then the and body just, just like... just looking ah! at it and then you watch their eyes as they watch him fall onto the ground and they're both just like staring just like aghast. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, it's brilliant. It's just like I said, Shane Black just when he knows how to direct a movie, which largely he does, and in this movie he just nails it. He knows the style that he's going for, he knows the tone, and again, in camera work, he just knows when to take these pauses and when to let the characters' expressions deliver the dialogue. Yes, because a lot I, of the, the time, joke, the joke, story, and action are so delicately balanced. Yes, yeah. and I think it's the best example not even the best example of this but i think you could kind of describe it as this crow is usually the one giving the funny lines gosling is the one who just delivers the line through his facial expressions his comedy comes largely from the physical it's not that he, mm -hmm. he doesn't have funny lines in the film but that is largely more of crow's witty dialogue throughout there mm-hmm yeah, I yeah, they're funny lines in totally different ways. Mm -hmm. That's oh man, that's something that just occurred to me too. Wow, I this movie's great. I this the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm really enjoying this movie. Yeah, and um, I'm gonna kind of start wrapping it up here. Some yeah, I was gonna go say we can just do some yeah thoughts because without fire, like I said, I just thoughts. don't want to get into the finale. Yes, it actually another thing this film does really well is it actually has a clever, well done mystery behind mm -hmm. it that keeps you guessing and the ending is shocking because you don't fully expect what's going on or know what's going on and it definitely has some red herrings in the script to make you think one way and then go the other way but what i will say about this movie is i don't tend to for comedies i'm not the biggest fan of raunchy comedies yeah. i just don't like over the top raunchy uh sex-filled comedies it's just never been my vibe mm -hmm. uh this film definitely has a little bit of it with obviously the fact that the they're investigating the murder of an adult film star. So it's like in there, but they do it in a clever way 
where it's not just overly gratuitous it's just supposed to be the 1970s la and while it is in there and it certainly is and there is some stuff that maybe feels a little too gratuitous there's a scene at the very opening where you find misty mountains dead that's a little probably she it looks like she's it looks like she has just gotten off of work yeah and you don't really need it in the film yeah Uh, it doesn't really bother me but it is like something where it's just like okay you're throwing it in to have a beautiful woman be naked on screen right is ultimately what it feels like again it's not heavy in this film and i think for the most part a lot of the raunchy jokes here's i think the difference the jokes land in this movie where a lot of other times i feel like the raunchy jokes are just they're doing something so outrageous and that itself is the joke these are the fart is the joke yeah this in the case of the raunchiness it is there is a bigger joke that's about to happen it's not like the sex is the joke it's what's about to follow that it's the setup yeah yeah is the punchline and that's what i think works about it so well because yes is this film a little bit more crass than i usually tend to prefer in my comedies yes but it's also just way more clever than the films like that that use raunchy humor exactly most most rated r films use that raunchy humor this one does it justifiably i guess where the humor makes sense in this world that they live in Mm -hmm. yeah um i i guess uh that's that's a really good point and i totally agree with you um i some of my final thoughts uh we didn't talk about her enough but um and Anjuri, yes, Anjuri rice uh, as holly is so great um she's, she's she's really funny she's she's a very smart snappy character she does a lot for the plot as well she's kind of um she she makes she makes both holland and jackson better people by the yes. end of the movie um and and it's not the main focus of the movie but i it's still it's still a cool nice little emotional payoff um so holly's great and she's portrayed well real quick portrayed well Mm -hmm. is not only does she uh make those two characters better she also just makes those two characters more human within the story and their interactions feel more real because she's there because you see how he interacts with his daughter and then you see she really brings out the softer side of jackson yes uh, russell crowe she mm-hmm. he she brings out kind of the softness to his character and there i think their relationship is one of my favorites in the movie i would agree their relationship is really funny and heartwarming at times honestly mm-hmm. absolutely um i the uh, just these are some rapid fire points uh the fights are really well coordinated um I, there's a lot of really great uh, subversion in this movie. Um, Holland Holland has this really intelligent moment where he is like, "Oh, that's not; those aren't the numbers for a flight. Those are the numbers for an apartment." And here's how you can tell. And then they go to the apartment site, and it's been demolished for two years. So he was wrong. That's a great subversion of expectation. Um, there are a few moments of really surreal humor mm. uh, when they're driving um, to deliver something. I won't spoil what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. What um, uh, uh, Holland falls asleep at the wheel, but you don't 
realize it at first and they're they're like oh the car can drive itself watch you can take your hands off the wheel and then it drives itself he's like oh wow that's cool and then russell crowe's like oh yeah all cars can do this uh and then a giant bumblebee shows up in the back seat voiced by hannibal burris uh and they're all just smoking a a joint or not a joint they're smoking cigarettes and the bees talking about you know the pollution in the air and then it's like, what is going on? And then you realize that Holland was sleeping. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it, that's one of the few times. And then the other time, um, somebody uh, falls into a pool. And I there's a whole setup to this joke later, or it, earlier in the movie. So this moment is all the more funny. Uh, but he falls into a pool. And as he's about to die instead of seeing like an angel or a light at the end of the tunnel, he sees president Nixon. That's right. He sees Richard Nixon in the pool (laughs) telling him like, you need to get out of here. And he's like, Nixon, not you. And then he swims up and that's how he survives falling into the pool. Um, I, they're, they're fantastical. They're bizarre, but they manage to remain relevant to the story. Yeah. In, in some respect. Yeah. And so, I think that's where that's where I'll end off my final thoughts. Yeah. So in conclusion, just see this movie. It's legitimately so funny and so worth it. Like you've it's, never it's seen a comedy fun. like this, and you've never seen Gosling honestly better than in this he is in this film. He just truly is a revelation. And I wish he did more comedy yes. after seeing him in this. But we will that, not be bored. We are gonna go into our Hill to Die on and I'll go first because I think you went first last week, Francis. Yes. My question is cast two actors who you'd want to see in a buddy cop film. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be this one, but just two actors that you think would make a great buddy cop film. I, I had a I have a very similar um, question, but uh, I think I think the key to having an entertaining and good buddy cop film is to have two people that are so different mm-hmm. Um and uh, but both kind of out of their element uh so i think um i think harrison ford okay and uh hmm carrot top uh harrison i was gonna say harrison ford and danny devito okay i think um i i can't think of two more different individuals um, and I can so clearly see Harrison Ford being the gruff, straight-laced, retired cop. And then Danny Vito's just kind of there. Maybe he's a car salesman like he was in Matilda. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can help you out. Um, and then he just started and, blasting. Yeah, and then he just started blasting. He's like, why did you just shoot that guy? It's like, I don't know. Um, terrible example. I need more time to write that and pitch the <laughs> script. Um, if I come up with a name, I might blurt it out, but I I feel like that would be such a, a weird mashup, but I would love to see, uh, how it worked. Okay. I like, uh, I let's call it, uh, um, when I'm old and gray and, (laughs) and that's a good title for noir. And in the, in the, um, in the trailer for it, you can have that song by, oh, one of the rat pack. Sinatra? Is that Sinatra? When I'm uh, old and gray. I think that might be Sinatra. I hope it is. Uh it might be Bing, actually. It might be Bing Crosby. It might be Bing. Um oh, man, I should know that. Uh <laughs> so yeah, I when I'm old and gray. 
Um, all right. That was a good question, Ben. Yeah. Um, all right. My great debate question is very similar. If Holland and Healy specifically uh, were replaced with any famous buddy cop or not duo, what would be the best replacement? Switcheroo. Mm. Why? Why is the best duo to replace Holland and Healy? Mac and me from the movie uh. Mac and me. God, you know, I've never actually seen this movie, so I don't have a particularly good oh, answer. So I'm just going to switch the me with, uh, is is Mac the alien? Yes. Okay, so it's going to be Mac and John Mulaney. Because <laughs> that was already kind of my like thought process for like, who would I want to see in like a noir kind of mm-hmm. comedy with this kind of writing and style? And the answer <laughs> okay. is just John Mulaney, because like he already has the like, he's always joked about in his standup that he has that kind of like feel and pace to him. As yeah. that like 1940s Humphrey Bogart comedian <laughs> level to it. So to he kind of see does. him deliver those lines uh, is perfect. And then what's the perfect buddy cop? You talked about that juxtaposition between the two. What is better than Mac, an alien? Like there's nothing more foreign uh, to John <laughs> Mulaney than an alien. So you have these two buddy cops. That I would actually honestly keep the script of the nice guys. And I would have John Mulaney be the enforcer type, the Russell Crowe type character. Mm-hmm. And Mac is the uh, Ryan Gosling, so he's doing all. But the he doesn't falls. deliver any lines; he just whistles. Yes, because you know that because Mulaney's biggest quality <laughs> as an actor is that he has this ability to just deliver lines like nobody else. Like no one can say the dialogue that Mulaney can. That's mm-hmm. that's always been his strength. Is his voice is so distinct and unique that you just have to have him doing certain things. Right. So Mac can do all the physical comedy because he doesn't need to talk as much mm-hmm. um, yeah so yeah that's kind of my pitch so yeah i kind of see john mulaney as this character uh that go on this very similar uh uh adventure i would call it mac and mulaney mac and uh, mulaney uh macalaney it would be the macalaney <laughs> wait, wait so so john mulaney plays himself yes. as a cop <laughs> yes john mulaney like instead of going into comedy has gone into private uh, detective work. Hi, I'm P.I. Mulaney. Yeah. I'm just telling you, it would be perfect. You could have uh, J.J. Bittenbinder from his comedy uh, special show up in there. And did I technically <laughs> cheat on this question because I didn't use the, I'm going to say, eight-year-old boy from Mac and Me? Probably. Yeah. but The wheelchair-bound. But here's, oh, God. Okay, you know what? Mac, I, here's how Mac I'm going to incorporate the me. Okay. John Mulaney's in a wheelchair the whole time. <laughs> So he's the bronze, but he's in a wheelchair. So there's like <laughs> scenes where he has like the knuckles, like the, the whatever they're called, the what are they, the brass knuckles. And he's in like a wheelchair, so he's just like, he just has to punch their leg. Oh come on, get over here! So what kind of cop are you? You're in a yeah, wheelchair. So, oh, that's the one thing I'm sensitive about. So that's the key to this movie is. Oh. It's, you find out that that in Mac and me, me grew up to be John Mulaney. Beautiful. So that's my uh, and pitch. There's naturally in that sort of movie, there's going to be a lot of references to CSI or, uh, yeah, CSI. The one. <laughs> okay. Who, yeah, you're right. Ice-T appears in it. Yeah, Ice-T. So. You mean like when someone <laughs> drinks too much alcohol or like yeah, when Ice someone T's, watches Ice too many movies. And like he's involved. <laughs> he can be, you know what? He's the daughter in The Nice Guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's the daughter it's like a hundred percent 
was, <laughs> I, was, I was drinking water. So I just killed Branson. Oh my god. I I literally like almost spat everywhere. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so uh Mulaney, if you ever hear this one, huge yeah. fan. Uh we'd love to have you on the show if you ever hear this. So that's oh, like my first goodness. off like that'd if, be a dream come like, true. Literally any movie you want to talk about, like anything you could talk from your own movie, Spider-Verse, or if you want to just yeah, talk whatever say, film you want to do. Just, just do it. You're on the show, John Mulaney. Uh, that would be I'm sure awesome. you're not listening because you're now dating Olivia Wilde. So why would you be listening to this podcast <laughs> if you're dating Olivia Wilde? But oh my uh, goodness. that's our pitch. And Branson, I'm going to tease the audience for next week. Here's how I'm going to tease it. We're going to talk about a film very, very quietly in anticipation of a sequel <laughs> of that same film coming out next week. So, this is your clue. We're talking very quietly. For next thanks, for, thanks for watching thanks Ben for and Brand see a movie. Ben and Brand see a movie. This is, this is now uh, Ben and Brand do ASMR. Yeah, so take that. Take care, guys. Have a good week. Godspeed. And talk to you later. All Godspeed. right, guys. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>